that we're friends yeah <laughs> we're just industry we're three industry plants we've all been chosen by IndieWire to subvert uh underground film movements oh i didn't mention it on the main feed i totally forgot to mention that this is now an IndieWire podcast that's true oh, i'm glad you did yeah it. welcome to extended clip after hours in IndieWire podcast presented by IndieWire. Mm-hmm. i'm one of your hosts Eric Cohn? Is that the main guy at IndieWire? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah More yeah, like yeah. Conehead. No, no, I, I can't know. impersonate the boss. He'll get so mad at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like no. a bar uh, so technically, technically, I'm mutual. So oh, wow. I've never really interacted. I've never really interacted with him, but like, technically, I'm mutual. You definitely have a lot of like uh, big like film Twitter mutuals who, I don't know, like there, there's a lot of people I don't dare interact with. You're respectable, Ryan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ryan, Ryan puts up the respectable veneer, but then, you know. Behind the curtain, you I mean, know, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily like a Dr. Jekyll. Uh, <laughs> like not, not a professor sort of thing. But, you know, I like to, I like to, you know, be part of many different social Yeah, circles. no, totally. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm know, purely in. joking around. Um, <laughs> I do struggle with it, though, for my own thing, though, especially like being in school. Because, like, you see all these people with, like, their school in their bio. And uh, I don't want to do that, you know? Yeah, uh, no way. But then it's just like... Sure, sure. I got pressured into sharing my letterbox with my cohort at school. And it's like <laughs> my Twitter and my pod is one click away. And it's just, I don't like it at all. I need to like cancel everything almost. Uh, but I'm not going to, I'm going to roll with the punches. And you know, if they want to kick me out of grad school for, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for having too daring of a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> then that'll just, uh, you know, I'll make it about that and I'll be a free speech guy. <laughs> Hell yeah. Come join the God. team, the winning team. But, uh, no, yeah, I think that's. I think that puts you in an interesting position because if people find it, it's like, wow, he has this whole secret life that like he doesn't even tell people. It's yeah. not even like a big deal to him. He must be juggling a lot of balls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I am, and I am. They, they would be right to assume that <laughs> he's a juggler. I am, yeah, Night of the Juggler. It's tonight, and it's about me. Um, I really want to watch that film. I've had the poster saved uh, as an image on my phone for like two years for some reason what is i've never heard of this what's this? it's like an 80s exploitation movie okay uh, i think it was on youtube of for a long time but night of the juggler yeah check it out uh, <laughs> my friends who have seen it all say all speak of it very highly so anyway uh our topic on the after hours uh tonight is bound for the fields the mountains and the seacoast the 1986 film by nobuhiko obayashi um ryan thank you for bringing <laughs> that, that <laughs> thank you sounded like the the Pacific theaters. Thank you for choosing. <laughs> thank you for choosing Nobuhiku Obayashi as your first choice in art house oh, entertainment. Yeah. Um, but wh- wh- why was it this film that you wanted to bring to the Patreon podcast? Well, I was just thinking of you know films that I thought would be interesting, worth talking about, and I think that. You know, I'll maybe save my Obayashi spiel for 
you know, in a few minutes or whatever, whatever it turns out being. But I will definitely give it. You can be rest assured about that. Uh, uh, but, I, you know, I think that it I, I would I definitely was thinking about which Obayashi to choose. Um, and I think this definitely felt like a good a good one. I think it, it was my first Obayashi that I saw. And I think it sort of encapsulates all of the things that I think make him so wonderful, so unique, such a unfairly ignored master of cinema of, of Japanese cinema and you know very very u- uniquely sketches his place within it I think it just works on all those levels so I I think I was I was also thinking of just like you know a, a different country trying to think of another country to pick from and I settled on that and then I wound my way to Obayashi so. yeah I feel like we, we haven't really talked about that much Japanese cinema on the podcast we talked about Actually, on two Patreon episodes, we've done uh, uh, a Mike and an Ozu. Uh, but outside of that, I feel like our Asian cinema usually lands in the Hong Kong uh, slash sure. Taiwan uh, uh, stuff. But um, I was I was glad you brought this up because I've been kind of dipping my toes back into basically Japanese cinema 101 after going right. into Pinku, uh, downloading some Mizoguchi and going back to the the Ozu masterpieces that I haven't seen yet. So I was glad that you brought this up. And this feels like the film itself and Obayashi through it have such a like solid sense of both world and Japanese history and like cinema history. And it's like taking all of these little things from the development of film language over the years and deploying them all so slyly kind of there's like so many mm-hmm. stylistic tricks up his sleeve in this movie but it also feels very grounded in one style too how'd you feel about this one malcolm yeah this is my first obayashi i haven't even seen you know his famous television show house <laughs> with uh, <laughs> a grumpy doctor or whatever whatever goes on in that show but uh i you know, I'll, I'll definitely check out this after checking this out because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, I thought this was a hell of a movie and like a very, uh, mm. I don't know, like, uh, I think I say one of one a lot, but I feel like Obayashi really like made his tone and his style very distinctive to me in a way to where I want to check out, um, a whole lot of his other films. And I feel like he's doing so many different things in this movie. And I think like, you know, he executes them pretty well. So I was just, I was just really impressed and it made me want to check out more. Yeah. I, this is, let me see here. I think my fifth Obayashi now I've like been like dipping my toes little bit by little bit like it he's a guy that I've two of the films I've watched with my girlfriend because I feel like he has like sort of a playful vibe that it's like I don't know showing people different uh, movies I don't want to do like a, a dry art house thing and he's really easy to tap into um, yeah you don't want to show your girlfriend death by hanging <laughs> <laughs> but with this, I think um, this is like the most explicitly political of his films that I've seen that I really enjoy um, him exploring more. I think like, I mean, I'm finishing up Gravity's Rainbow now and I've had World War Two fever and just uh... <laughs> <laughs> me too. But kind of in a different way than you're talking about. If you, if you get one. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, and I think it's fascinating that even in 
pictures where that aren't like this directly related to the war that sort of ripples throughout the little snippets I've seen of Obayashi's career and seeing him confront it like very directly here is fascinating even though it's like it's direct but it's sort of like obscured through like the eyes of kids yeah and Mm -hmm. uh it's fascinating the way he like blends that comedy with like the horror yeah it's that amazing dynamic of like a really dark period of nationalism and creeping fascism uh through the perspective of playful youth and in that sense, like, is this the good Jojo Rabbit? Sorry, <laughs> don't, kill, don't kill me. <laughs> um, I Before we get into the film, I wanted to get into Obayashi, and I know Ryan probably has some stuff to say on him in general. Uh, I will say that I've seen House, and I, you know, I'm okay on it or whatever, but uh, Malcolm made a joke about House the TV show, <laughs> and I... I couldn't help but think this one episode I watched at my aunt's house where there's a kid who like <laughs> has um what what are those called the I guess an iris the thing in your eye like the like header floating thing oh no uh, so, the floating thing in your eye you know I get yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's a Family Guy bit about it anyway <laughs> uh he he suffers from those things in his eye uh and he like plays PSP to get over it I think <laughs> either he plays PSP to get over it or it came from him playing PSP too much <laughs> knowing uh, the Fox Network's conservatism I would say it came from him playing vi- violent video games probably uh, but anyway uh, back to the film house uh, obviously like has its place like outside of the realm of Obayashi fans uh, you know the criterion uh, Blu-ray obviously helps its cult status and accessibility and kind of like a big Tumblr film, if you will. Mm. And maybe that's like the wrong, or not maybe, that yeah. is the wrong yeah. lens to view it through. <laughs> uh, however, that is the lens that a lot of people do view it through, obviously. Oh, uh, and I'm not saying as a negative thing either. People who aren't sp- skeptical of what a tumblr film means <laughs> find it through tumblr and say that's an awesome movie you know th- mm. there's no shade on that. that that's just as valid as yeah. an auteurist working through the works of obayashi uh but i probably saw it in the wrong context uh, that's sure. all i'm saying sure it's like i i wasn't i shouldn't have watched it five years ago when i did or whatever mm-hmm. four years mm-hmm. ago when i did uh i should have waited uh, <laughs> anyway uh, this whole time, I thought you're talking about Bound to the Hills. I'm like, is this movie that popular? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about I'm House. Talking, I'm talking about House. Yeah, no, I realized it. I really, yeah. Um, this movie's great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ryan, uh, a little, a little Obayashi 101 for us, if you will, because I, I really don't know anything about him other than that dynamic of having one really popular cult film. And this seemingly masterful body of work mm, mm-hmm. around it, you know. Sure. Well, okay. This is not. This is going to be more than a little. Uh, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> probably. I, I'm. I'm <laughs> okay. happy with that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. Okay. So Obayashi, who actually died earlier this year, uh, sometime in April, I think. Uh, like same day as Bruce Bailey, incidentally, which is kind of incredible. But Obayashi work um house was his debut certainly in 1977 i believe somewhere around there uh but who worked tirelessly dedicatedly in many different sort of genres uh including avant-garde shorts including television directing plays uh commercials there's a great commercial that he did for the i think deodorant or something like that product mandom with charles bronson which is 
fantastic. Uh, <laughs> the commercial, awesome. yeah, uh, and you know who did who worked in basic. I think he wrote film criticism as well. He worked in basically every different, almost any any different medium you can think of. Uh, and his he was. I I don't know, know if icon is necessarily the right term to bring to uh, like in terms of his reception within Japan, but he was certainly well known. And his uh. I know that you were talking, like you were sort of complimenting Criterion on the last, uh, on the City Lights in terms of the City Lights restoration, which is, you know, definitely, definitely uh, worth worthwhile. And definitely, I think that they've done great work. Uh, but in this instance, in terms of Obayashi and House specifically, I uh, will very gladly say, fuck Criterion. I think that, <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I think that one of the great, cinephile the crime the one of the great crimes of cinephile cinephilia of this of this decade or of the 2010s was criterion's treatment of house and of obayashi i think that and the, i saw house that was my second i think obayashi maybe my third one after uh his motorbike her island which is also from the same year from 1986 incredibly just to give context but i think in selling house as this sort of crazy wacky film from another world you know uh, i think they literally use like they might it might have been being from another planet or something like that in the sort of <laughs> description uh i think you know while it may have done very well in terms of the art house reception and the sort of sales and you know i think it's still sort of a totemic film within the criterion canon or um like still to this day 10 years on i think it did an irreparable damage to Obayashi's potential for distribution in the states and even in the sort of western area. I think that besides House, the only film that's been released on any sort of disc release in the in in the western world has been his second to last film Hanagatami from 2017, which is from a British distributor. I think Third Window, something like that. And I think what that treatment did in terms of treating house as this sort of film that's you know not of our world is i think entirely misrepresents what the film and what obayashi stands stand for stood for i think that obayashi's films are among frankly the most humanist and the most tirelessly and and stridently humanist films that that are current that currently exist i think that his films I'm going to be quoting. I'm going to be quoting a lot from uh, the great, great article by my very dear friend Evan Morgan. I was born, but Nobuhiko Obayashi in Japan's Lost Children from uh, from Seattle Screen Scene, uh, one of my uh, very dear websites. And so I'll, I'll be interspersing these briefly. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going long already, and I just got through the. Intro. No, it's okay. No. I, I just wanted to say though, uh, because you. Uh, remembered correctly i'm quoting very briefly from the criterion website (laughs) this one sentence equally absurd and nightmarish house might have been beamed to earth from some other planet whoa which is yeah trippy man that's a fucking stupid description that's absolutely yeah like yeah yeah. that's for for the most like reputable canon of important uh films like in home video that is that is an irresponsible description and i don't even like particularly like the movie Mm -hmm. uh, and like i'm sure i would like it more now 
uh, or at least I would like it uh, a little more now, knowing Obayashi's style even a little bit. Uh, but the the way that they sell it definitely does no favors. Yeah. Sorry, one real quick quote before you can go back, uh, Ryan, is it also calls it an episode of Scooby-Doo. As direct- <laughs> Hold on. As directed by Mario Bava? <laughs> Mario yeah. Bava, a director of Criterion, has never touched <laughs> yeah. and never will touch. That makes no sense. And, you know, if you if you have one of those trendy house shirts, I know some of you might have oh, one. Yeah. You might have one. Go throw it out right now. Get to downloading. Throw your house shirts in the streets. I, I, I won't say uh, that. I, sorry. Yeah. Okay, no, Ryan, no, Ryan. No, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say... Watch another Obayashi as soon as you possibly can, and yeah. I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I, will, I, will okay. I will gladly send you those those films. Uh, you know, like as, as I was saying before, the sort of distribution has been very extraordinarily poor. Um, oh, by the way, for in terms of Mario Bava, I should note in in Obayashi's final film, Labyrinth of Cinema from 2019, the lead character is literally named Mario Bava. So oh, okay, well that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's Labyrinth is wild a wild film. It's not my favorite Obayashi by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a wild film, um, and also a very moving film. Which is to sort of say that Obayashi, uh, to quote an extensive extensive paragraph from from Evans' piece, Obayashi is a moralist. Youth is sacred. It must be safeguarded above all. Houses. Anglophone cults, which it's worth noting exists in isolation from the rest of Obayashi's career, has obscured this fact, predicated as it is on a total inversion of the principle, namely that some delirious sadism lies at the heart of Obayashi's vision. There's no denying Kazu's gleefulness, but when contextualized by by his other work, the film's death parade appears much more complicated. What is a house if not a home? And what is to say of a home that bloodies its maw with its own children? And so I think that gets that sort of, and obviously Evan's a much, much better writer. He's he's seen much more Obayashi's films than I have. But uh, I think that it gets at what makes Bound for the Hills especially, but also his other films, even his less his ostensibly lighter or less, I guess, con- narratively and thematically consequential films. It's that throughout his films, there is never, he always, his understanding is paramount. His understanding of children, especially, but also the society they live in is paramount. Uh, Evan says that in Japan, Obayashi is known for his films that celebrate the lays and haze and promise of youth in its natural season summer. These are his furusatu, or hometown movies, as he calls them. Films conceived in close consultation with their locales, suffused with the particular light of a place or its singular air, where the action is as much determined by the ungainly curve of an ancient street as it is by the generic demands of the youth film. And I think it's his, his films... They are never, they never feel condescending. They never feel like they are trying to make light of a situation, even if they are as Bound for the Hills even is very frequently quite funny. I think they abs- they understand the gravity of the situation, um, especially his his second to last film, Hanagatami, which actually was the film that he was originally hoping. It's based off of a. A novel i think of the same name and which was it's it's about these four you know these three young men who are these students who become who are swept up within the war machine of japan and his and i think he was actually 
hoping for that to be his debut film, but he actually made it 40 years later while he was suffering from liver cancer, I believe. And he was given months to live, but he managed to make two quite long films, quite extravagant films. And both of these films are like, um, they're both over two and a half hours long and they are filled with some of the most awe-inspiring, most out there like speed racer level sort of digital digital filmmaking that you can possibly imagine uh in like virtually every frame like almost everything's green screened and and so on and so forth but i i think it gets i think you know understanding that understanding like that was his passion project and all the detours and all the different things he made along the way i think they all come back to this sort of central theme of youth of central central idea and i think that it's it carries carries over very much into his filmmaking. He had such a wonderful sense of being able to to harmonize and to key into different types of filmmaking all throughout the way. I know that uh, JTU's seen The Rocking Horseman, which is one of my which is my second favorite Obayashi, and which is in a very different style from Bound for the Hills. Bound for the Hills is very much trying to sort of emulate the style of a like a basically nineteen thirties silent ozu sort of chochiku uh film but it pushes that aesthetic to extreme likewise likewise for rocking horsemen it's this sort of it's conventional in a certain way like it's following the 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 narrative of these four these four young boys who or for teenagers who form a, a band and it's it basically follows that through and it but even there like it does not descend to the sort of normal you know band strife conflicts tearing the group apart sort of dynamics it's all about them having a good time them trying to find their sort of ability to make their own art i guess you could say and everyone's support support around them but it must come to an end because the that's the progression of life that's the progression of youth and and i think as evan says the um the nothing is more painful and nothing is more more awful for obayashi than than the idea of a stolen childhood and yet that is what all the characters in bound for the hills or his more biker island or even something like beijing watermelon which is my favorite obayashi in which involves um well like the, the the basic plot is about this japanese grocer who provides food and vegetables to the to these chinese exchange students and it ends with one of the most, maybe the most powerful political gesture I've ever seen in a film, which is when filming, they were planning to film in China, but it was disrupted by the Tiananmen Square protests and the and uh, the brutal crackdown involved. So he filmed it in a studio and he filmed it openly and the, with the actors openly acknowledging that they were in a studio and yet continuing to film. And on a simulacrum of the, of the, um, of the Great Wall. And so like, I think... Uh, those all of those facets are vital to understanding Obayashi, and I think that House, for example, is such a is a brutally sad and brutally heartbreaking and tragic film because all of these care like you can sense that even though if viewed from like a perspective that doesn't understand all these different things that these characters these all these young women might be considered you know, childish or or naive or something like that. I think that is exactly what Obayashi is intending. And he grieves for their 
inevitable destruction. And I should definitely credit. I don't. I don't know why I didn't credit them before, but Evan Morgan, Eli Berger, Esther Rosenfield, among others, who have been able to sort of salvage for lack of a better term, Obayashi's reputation here in the States. I think that without them, without without this sort of groundwork, I think it it completely, uh, I, I think that they're one of the great masters, certainly of Japanese cinema and of world cinema would be uh, totally lost. I'm sorry I went on so long, but that, and this is, that none, <laughs> none of this, none of this is written down. I, I can, I, I don't, Obviously, I can't prove it to you because I have no script. But this is definitely <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely like you know I I uh, I mean I I don't know if I put that in the most concise of ways, but that's sort of I think a primer, if you will. Of, of I I can recommend other people's pieces who are much much more lucid than that described. <laughs> but yeah, from the little Obayashi that I have seen, that all seems to like ring true. Like in reference to youth, like. Um, one of the first that I saw was Lovely Devils, which mm. is about like a little girl, um, who starts like, uh, murdering like her family members around her, but it has such sympathy for, uh, the girl and like sort of her lost youth because it just emerges out of like, uh, trauma, I believe from her like mother dying early. And it is that like interesting fascination where it's obviously working in the genre of a horror film but there's such sympathy towards this girl and her lost innocence there i mean i'm sorry but i don't how are we going to not acknowledge that ryan just completely balled out on us for like nine minutes (laughs) (laughs) that was incredible thank you so much no that was like uh, incredibly insightful and passionate and obviously you did more you did like five times site uh cite evan morgan mm-hmm. uh you you I mean, you definitely gave him his fair shake there but that it is true right? like uh everything i've read from him about obayashi has been great uh yeah. evan morgan friend of the friend of the pod uh, we'll say stakes and funerals is uh, our dead cousin podcast. oh yeah yeah <laughs> sir, sir, it's, it's my it's my uh i mean i've i've made maybe they'll bring it back at some point but also eli yeah. eli burger I mean, certainly one of the also the other co-host another great friend of mine but also very yeah. much very much involved in the obayashi uh and also uh cj at piss millionaire has oh, yeah. a huge CJ mega Roy. folder CJ Roy, uh, of uh of obayashi films too and you know if you're listening to this you're likely in the discord so we'll definitely post some obayashi folders in the discord i have like i have a link to one and i know there's another big mega folder uh, oh no, uh, Jake, Buddy Love already posted one of the mega folders that I had book lo- bookmarked. I think uh, so. Shout out, like everyone, yeah. download up yeah. and watch away. I'm gonna I'm gonna download a couple more. People too. posted a whole lot after he died this year. Like yeah, I have yeah, like yeah. 24 of his movies on my hard drive now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like what you said about the aesthetic of this one being like early Ozu, this one being Bound for the Fields. Uh, de- like when I said that it reminded me of the 60s ones. I think it may have just been more in the cinematography, sure, sure. but the way that he's staging is definitely reminiscent of Ozu, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, even just thinking back at early Ozu, I haven't even seen this one, but just like knowing the title, where now are the dreams of, Oh, youth, that's like, that's uh, the, yeah. like, yeah. Obayashi's taking from early Ozu in the best way possible, yeah. obviously. <laughs> like, uh, and the, oh, and the Ozu that I have seen the early Ozu, like the, the, the like 
I don't know if sanctity is even right, the right word, but the way that they treasure youth. Mm. And yeah. like, it's not like a pristine, perfect thing. And especially the world around them is anything but. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how sacred youth is, is such like a moving aspect of both of these filmmakers from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. this paired really well with recently in doing my big Ozu run, I watched I Was Born, but, and a lot of that is about like, I don't know, squabbling little kids on the yeah. playground, mm-hmm. like with uh, a larger issue sort of backgrounded there. We briefly talked about on our Equinox Flower episode, Ryan, we went through a bunch of Ozu briefly, mm. uh, Record of the Tenement Gentleman also, uh, like, uh-huh. just, I mean, the kid peeing the, <laughs> peeing the bed sheet in that, and then you get one of those amazing classic Ozu shots of, like, laundry hanging out in the open, but it's a, it's a bed sheet that has piss <laughs> on it, and it's mm. like... That is such a perfect encapsulation of youth right. in these movies and how beautiful it is and how much like we should cherish even the things that are embarrassing and silly like that. Mm-hmm. Such is the style of silent comedy. Like, yeah. That plays into it perfectly, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, with in terms of like youth and Bound to the Hills, I think it's one of the aspects that I particularly liked about this movie because I feel like... Like of course Obayashi treasures youth, but he gives you a, a you know a diversity of youth experiences. It kind of you know not knowing about anything about this going in, it kind of seems like the movie was going to kind of take like a, a study of two tales, kind of the fortunate son and you know the less fortunate son. Yeah. Um. You know, and it devolves into something more, but it 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 does address you know kind of like this uh, richer childhood compared to like a more impoverished one, and also just different states of childhood too, because. Um, the sister that's being uh, sold to uh, to the brothel brothel yeah being sold to the brothel she does she seems pretty you know young herself and it's like probably someone who just recently kind of shed her youthful inhibition and then you have you know these younger characters who are kind of having to deal with you know when the uh, child and adult world intersects and yeah. you know that's often very heartbreaking and very sad it's you know it's not usually you know, having to deal with the the copying machine at work or something like that. I mean, and when she's introduced through the binoculars, of course, Mm. uh, and the deployment of binocular POV shots in this is beautiful. Mm. Every single one, I was like, oh, this works. But, like, the first thing the kid is doing is, like, sizing up her age. He's like, well, she's not old enough to be, like, a lady. But she's not (laughs) a kid. Uh, And uh, I, I think, like, I don't know, it's also that weird uh difference of the kid you know starting school two years late so the bully is huge (laughs) he just is a post no definitely not two years that's like you know the 18 year old that they smuggle into the little league world series that gets pretty (laughs) huge uh and just like that difference just makes for such a great physical comedy but it's also so heartwarming seeing them on screen together uh to later on uh rescue osho and we'll we'll get to that that's you know chapter three is her (laughs) rescue uh this is a film that's split into four chapters and I, I don't want to say literary as like uh, dismissive. I, I'm saying mm-hmm. it, like the chapter structure allows for each 
movement of the film kind of to have its own mini arc right uh but obviously there is still definitely a, a clear through line throughout it both emotionally and politically and aesthetically as mm-hmm. well uh, i i think it's like structurally now that i think about it like a really uh well put together film in terms of the arc of each chapter and on the whole um ryan do you know off the top of your head or if you have it written down what's the first chapter called Oh, I don't. I can quickly look it up. Uh, it's called The New Boy. The New Boy. Oh, okay. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the first intertitle after it says that Japan had been a little rascal. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is a great way to describe, you know, fascism creeping <laughs> in. Like, yeah. You know, just rampant nationalism. That's being a little bad little boy. Being a little stinker. Uh, and, and that's like a perfect way from right out the gate to understand how Obayashi is like filtering his politics through a kid, but still having that political presence mm-hmm. through the whole way. You know, uh, I, I think it's like really great how he does that, because in terms of accessibility too, like this is just like a really fun movie, kind of like a, a coming of age kind of youth movie and also a very depressing movie in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. Uh, but like, I, I feel like it's not too harsh in a, in the way that a lot of other, uh, you know, Japanese films looking back at this period would be yeah. mm-hmm. uh, from the, you know, very from the handful that I've seen. I can't, I can't speak too broadly. Sure, there. Sure. No, the tone in chapter one is, you know, downright goofy. It's yeah. playful, like a lot. <laughs> it has the tone of a comedy more than anything else, you know, in its first chapter. I mean, I think about the teacher character and like, I feel like every time you go to his desk, it's kind of like this very, you know, still shot and where he like, he'll, you know, crazily put his hands on his head like, oh, I got to go deal with that or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, just a lot of school hijinks. I think what you're saying about the bully being uh, much bigger than his classmates, but also never quite really beating him never really beating him up that well the fight well. scenes are so yeah, funny yeah. Yeah. like there there's that like kind of slow building up when when they're fighting against those iron bars that they meet at throughout yeah. the mm-hmm. film which is such a perfect like little location for staging them in different dynamic like ways of just like you know obayashi will cut to them just chilling on that iron post like in different poses kind of before they start moving around and stuff. (laughs) And it's always such a great staging there, but yeah, it's like they slowly kind of team up to beat him up and then it cuts to something else and cuts back and he's just whooping their asses. (laughs) No, there's like a real playful rhythm to everything that goes on. Like in terms of like the sequencing of scenes and just like the way they're shot themselves too that you know maybe maybe if you're hankering to go back to school <laughs> relieve some youthful childhood memories maybe you give this a watch and i like how he will frequently cut to the drawings of uh monkeys and oh, yeah. their behavior to like directly compare it to the kids yeah like he does it a few times but it always gets me yeah, yeah. uh well because that the first time it's also like right after he was peeping on the girl with the binoculars <laughs> when he's in class he looks at the book and it's uh the sexual impulse of a young monkey <laughs> is the, yeah. the caption of that very all those drawings are very funny or (laughs) illustration whatever is in that book Mm -hmm. are very funny um you get a great scene uh the early romance of the the stepsister and the raftsman uh (laughs) the camera mounted on the raft so beautifully there like I don't know. I feel like every single you also mentioned what Evan said about the locales playing such an important role in these films. And I feel like 
this uh, is used so well like every aspect of this environment is used so well especially uh the water like get, anytime you're on that raft it's just like it, always an interesting angle in terms of the passing landscape and the characters framed against it no that like the black and white cinematography in this and i think it's especially seen like the daylight scenes there's like such a like almost like a not maybe spark but such a brightness to these whites that's showing on it's it has like a i don't know it's a very bright movie for working with a black and white color palette and i don't know ryan maybe you know something about this i noticed while looking this up this movie was available on youtube but in color and Mm -hmm. apparently there's two versions there's a black and white and color version is this something you do often is there a reason for this or i don't know i was just curious about that yeah i'm not i'm not certain myself i like i actually do have the like I have a file of the color version. I haven't actually watched it myself, but I think that it's definitely, you know, I think it's an option certainly, but I think that what like the film is meant to sort of emulate that sort of thirties period and like, or like a, a sort of dream version or a sort of, you know, a hyper real version of the, that thirties period. So I think that that's why certainly the, I've always heard that uh, the black and white Obayashi's preferred version. I do know that it was made for the, for ATG, the Art Theater Guild, which is this sort of, which for a few decades was like this sort of blend of art cinema and popular cinema. Um, and I, I know there's like, that seems like an entirely undertapped uh, field of study. I think that there's a film called Yokohama BJ Blues, which is like this sort of strange queer gay detective sort of thing, which I've heard, which which Evan has highly recommended. Uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure that's ATG, uh, but I could be wrong. So maybe like they, it was sort of their pro, like part of the contract or something that he had to make a uh, color version. So maybe that's why it's uh, it's there. Yeah, because I really couldn't imagine watching this in color. I think mm-hmm. it's like it seems like very deliberately shot in black and white, and even right. like some of the scenes where he's playing like. I think it's with thunder. Like he'll bring out like negatives. Oh yeah, inverts oh, yeah. the film. Just masterful style, uh, stylistic techniques. I was like that. That couldn't really be done in color. Oh, just totally pulling from like avant-garde mm. stylistic mm. techniques. His stylistic flares range from the classical to the art house to like the avant-garde experimental uh, and everywhere in between. Like there's so much. Uh, going on in this film and I'm sure throughout his filmography. Yeah, I think that this is well, like uh, Hanagatami and Labyrinth Cinema are certainly like pushing his aesthetic or like the the ideas behind his aesthetic to the limit certainly and I can't speak to um, you know earlier films in that but I, I think that like certainly of the ones I've seen this one occupies a unique place because it both adheres to this sort of uh, Ozu-esque style pretty pretty closely while also while also you know throwing in these wild tracks these sort of the exaggeration motion within within them uh like you said the sort of negative switching and i think that it's very like it establishes like it it goes hand in hand with the way in which his his character interacts like the the film fundamentally is about the sort of influences that are exerted on the on the children on the on the many children and especially pseudo the uh hero essentially of the film played by yasufumi hayashi who's also a very regular recurring presence in obayashi's films he's actually the main character of the rocking horseman uh like which i actually didn't realize until 
uh, until I watched until I started watching the film or until I rewatched this film and I from the very first profile I I immediately recognized it was him because he has such a sort of un- recognizable innocent sort of face and that innocence is exactly what's key to his sort of like actually this was a thought that just occurred to me but like it almost reminds me of of like Shu Chun's character in A Touch of Zen in which he's almost unable to recognize the ramifications of his military strategizing his obsessiveness within it and obviously that can pay immense dividends with regards to his sort of mental development and his ability to assert himself within this within the group within the within his uh school fellows but at the same time it leads into it it blends itself very well to the machine the machine of fascism and of of the military complex that is so prevalent throughout the film like and the film is sort of i i wasn't able to exactly determine whether it's sort of taking place during the uh i think the second sino-japanese war which was the like the sort of like a run of war between japan and and china in the run-up to in the run-up to world war ii uh, or if mm-hmm. it was actually World War II proper, but regardless, it's sort of that threat of you know all-out war and yeah, and uh, and in 1944 actually the, the Japan lowered the lowered the conscription age to 15, and obviously that includes cer- certainly some of the children within, uh, or like some certainly some of the slightly older children within the within the film. So I think that it definitely it's a film that especially during these first two chapters in which, you know, uh, Sudo and uh, Sato, uh, I think Sato, or no, or Sake? I'm not exactly sure, uh, where, you know, it's they're clashing. Yeah, yeah where, where they're clashing and in which this escalates in the second chapter into this sort of um, mock war, which then devolves almost into something like a real conflict in which boys are, <laughs> which boys are sort of hurt and by throwing rocks. And obviously this is, uh it pardon the pun a stone's throw away from actual war from you know fighting with guns and (laughs) and, and swords you know and this is and the great the wonderful thing about obayashi is that he is able to recognize that these things are very much linked but they do not necessarily have to be underlined they don't have to be this is exactly what i'm trying to say i think he's always able to make his point very clear while never making them uh like like hammers to a nail his films like you know it all you need is basically where in that scene afterwards where the where his father who's a doctor is is stitching up one of the one of the kids and he says oh a japanese soldier should never be hurt should never have a wound to his back i think that yeah, yeah like you know like it's obviously it's very funny because it, you know it's it, suggest that kids a coward but at the same time it's very it signals everything else that's swirling around and all of the the conscriptions and the struggles with pacifism versus um, militarism that are going on throughout the film wow yeah uh, <laughs> it's a lot to take in yeah, sorry, sorry. But the the war games no i think the the second chapter uh, with those war games, uh, the mock war between those kids is, is really great. I mean, that's like a classic, you know, how much the military and nationalism is introduced at, in a young age. Like, uh, 
fucking 15 17 to paris the kids wearing <laughs> uh camo gear and airsofting uh you know very similar to that of course uh, but yeah I, I, it's it's playful but at the same time you know you take a step back and them hurting each other hurling rocks at each other uh while actual lives are about to be lost mm-hmm. is so depressing to think about but it's also just so pleasurable to watch mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, that's what Obayashi's working at throughout this whole film. I mean, even even like it after that, it, it ends with a duel where two two children are fighting in barrels in the water. <laughs> so. The barrel's great. I mean, that's just throwing it back to, you know, the old days where the guy was naked and all you were wearing was a barrel. Come on. It doesn't get any more classic than that. <laughs> Uh, the the barrel fight, uh, the water jousting in the barrels is just like one of the most funny and just pleasurable things in this whole movie for sure. Uh, but then it leads up to the major dramatic turn where the two boys at the helm of this picture are peeping from below on Osho being sold into prostitution. Uh, listening from below because of her father's debts and uh, that's when it transitions into the third chapter Mm -hmm. uh, the rescue I I don't know I feel like the way uh, Obayashi is playing stylistically like helps retain some of the childlike perspective Mm -hmm. in all of this even as it is treading towards like extremely serious territory of selling essentially a child to a brothel I think Mm -hmm. that like it's it's such a delicate balance to like cover something like that and then still tread this like whimsical tone as they're going to save her but i think it works really well because it's like going from that kid's perspective they only can comprehend so much of it yeah i think i think what it does well like it keeps it whimsical kind of throughout up until like a certain point and it knows when to kind of pull that away and kind of mm-hmm. get very sober and serious like I think uh, about that very you know kind of fun sequence where um, you know the two boys get the the neighborhood to you know try to steal her back from the brothel and then you kind of realize it's like well no that can't happen kids yeah like yeah. You, after, after the fun sequence happens you kind of get the the realization it's like well no kids can't you can't steal people from a brothel like, yeah it's just, no it's like the title card for the third chapter is rescue Osho and then it's like but what do you do when you have her right yeah, like, yeah. yeah. you, you yeah. got there you're you're a kid though and this is like big boy prostitution <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. no i mean it's just the way the way it kind of uh shows you know these children kind of having to reckon with the the strict reality of adulthood towards the back end is uh yeah it's uh it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. so she's finally rescued by the raftsman pseudo's bro Sudo's older brother is a military lieutenant or a captain or something like that, and he is intent on shooting this Rasman because the Rasman, like he decided, even though he was he's a pacifist and spoke against the war, the war and was beaten for it, he decides to go enlist because he had because a friend of his died in this war, and he wanted to avenge him, and he reconsidered upon hearing that. Uh, Osho was uh, was being sold, and so he goes and rescues her. And the brother decides to shoot him for desertion. And it, I mean, like even in here, like it's almost like, it, the the tones should not necessarily work because he's upon like 
in order to get to the right vantage point, the brother has climbed through a barbed wire, like a ladder that's covered by barbed wire. And, he, and he's as he gets up uh, from the ladder, he's you know, he's dragging all this barbed wire and his face is like perfectly scarred into like three <laughs> parts on each on each cheek. Uh, and yet it gets at the sort of fury of both him, of, of both this sort of all the military power and and futility that he represents and also once the rasman inevitably is shot and in the process pseudo is thrown thrown from the lighthouse into the water <laughs> uh, which is incredible um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. That, that body going from the top <laughs> to the bottom of the frame there in buster keaton like fashion was just like one of the most delightful oh, yeah. things in this whole movie honestly. yeah yeah absolutely and like and then you get this extraordinary sequence where Osho because she is covering gasoline in order to escape she's like either she lights her or it's just somehow the raft is lit on fire and you just get this sort of flickering image of her uh, just like looking out in this sort of both both acceptance and also defiance and like it encapsulates all those emotions and Obayashi holds on it for quite a long shot and this is not necessarily a film that he, you know, where he, actually, Obiashi doesn't necessarily hold on, hold on long takes necessarily. He's not that sort of director. He's much more in favor of the like hyper fast cutting. This is actually probably a much slower cut film than much than the other ones that I've seen. But mm-hmm. like it just like it gets at that sort of all of the resistance, all of the all of the political objection to this mass destruction of people even if it's not necessarily um if not it's not impacted on her directly it's impacted on her as a member of society the she mm-hmm. she is like the the justification that that her her lover the raftsman gives is in, in terms of him going to work is because he is a man and she asks but what am i supposed to do and implicit answer of course is that she's in this society in this sort of degradation of human beings it's she is to be sold as as a uh, as a prostitute as a sex worker and it gets at this sort of at, at this other pathway of this going out on your own terms that uh as we'll get to shortly in the in the coda is realized to its fullest potential yeah and in that finale also you have that incredible image of the flames in front of her face mm. in that like mm-hmm. super high contrast uh just completely white out uh surrounding of her uh and like i don't know the the image just feels kind of deteriorated right. uh with those flames of course playing a factor into that uh in a way that is just so like I don't know it's full of rage and sorrow mm-hmm. and like uh i had so much emotion in that image and you know obayashi knows it you said he's not really a long take guy but that image lasts a while but it is because there are so many different layers to it uh right. of course in the effect and uh you know the processing of the film however he got it to look like that mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but that image really just seared into my head as it heads into the epilogue yeah, it's crazy yeah. that that's, that's not even the ending. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be the ending. And then you have just an insanely good epilogue. He, he tops yeah. it. He yeah, somehow, tops it. somehow yeah. tops it. Uh, with I, So it's the school teacher who's fully wrapped in his face, right? Giving the rousing I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's the, the captain of the... 
is his oh okay okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah uh and he's oh he mentions that the school teacher went to war uh that that's what he yeah. says in the speech yeah, yeah yeah i mean look the guy's completely wrapped up <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> uh but he gives this you know faux rousing war speech before falling into this mysterious hole of death <laughs> where like all the other uh like military personnel fall into and then the rest of the adults and then everyone else just kind of fades away and a dissolve uh before you have a wide shot of this whole space just being empty and then the shot of the mushroom cloud yeah and one of the most direct and uh just harrowing endings like just i don't know you, there's not a more perfect way to end this film with everything that was on its mind leading up to this final moment no i definitely agree i mean i think it's because it kind of gives you that joyful moment before where you kind of have these kids kind of toppling authority don't they like pull the the, ta- the thing under from the yeah the yeah, captain? yeah one last time yeah, he, yeah he's standing on these bricks that are tied together by rope strangely or yeah. they they tied a they, maybe they undid the bricks and tied a rope around it and one of the kids like pulls the rope so his uh, stage falls and or he falls off of the stage rather and that's when the mysterious hole opens yeah. below him <laughs> and it's yeah like they i think they even call it like their final prank yeah. Or whatever. And it's it's so gr- it's so great that they have like this moment of joy, kind of of them, you know, kind of toppling authority and kind of the, you know, the bad things about adulthood. Only you know for, you know, Obayashi to you know end the film in the way you know real life did. You know, mm-hmm. kind of in a responsible way. But he gives you that, um, you know, a variety of tone here that just makes it a real impactful ending for me. Well, I mean, Ryan, you mentioned earlier, I mean, throughout the film, like he's Obayashi is very politically subtle and it doesn't come across like too, um, like it's, it's not too heavy handed, but he really hits the hammer in the nail oh, yeah, there. Sorry. And I feel like that's an appropriate point to do it right. because he's had such a subtle touch throughout the entire movie and like his work towards something. And it's so like, it's such a large historical moment that it merits that like big change there and big beat at the end. I mean, even just showing like the picture plane itself, like it's just like such a, like a statement. It's so so stark, you know what I mean? Not to, you know what I mean? He didn't put in any, like, you know, didn't mess with the image or anything. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a harsh way to end the film, but an appropriate one, of course. Um, I, I actually completely forgot until I rewatched that, that, this film is almost like a musical like it associates mm-hmm. music and like different pieces of music with different characters who like sing it almost off hands uh like th- during their scenes and like it's sort of like i think that's just what's so great about it. like it's such a communal film like it gets even if it certainly favors its children it's the, the children within within it and for good reason i think it definitely it almost manages to sublimate all these strange tendencies like the you know the, the teacher hiking up his his robe so that he can run in this like, crab-like fashion like oh my god yeah yeah i mean like you know that, that's sort of like the most obvious example of this almost slapstick nature that is in the film and like that recur that pops up like right at the climax with uh when he's going rushing over to the bay to for this uh for the final confrontation between the brother and the raftsman like it's like Though by the time it gets to that point, like you totally like it's totally felt within the character and felt within the place and the setting of the film, and I think that's just what 
that's what's so great. And I, I mean, like, I prefer other Obayashi films. Um, like I said, uh, Beijing Watermelon is my favorite, and uh, and The Rocking Horseman is my second. But like, this is definitely this is certainly a singular film, and it, you know, I think it's certainly it forms like the locus of my understanding of Obayashi. Partly because I saw it first, partly because it's such a statement, such a clear-eyed statement, and uh, I just, I, I, it's, it's an astonishing. It, it's basically a masterpiece for me. Damn. Um, I went ahead and upped my letterbox to score <laughs> while we were talking. Oh, wow. <laughs> Usually I wait to do Sorry. that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I, I get impulsive. I, you know, look, folks, I get impulsive while I'm doing, the, I have to jo- I have to play a lot. I have to play producer while I'm uh, also playing podcaster here. Sometimes I have letterboxed open for reference. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I, I just went ahead and notched that up. I mean, it, it's it's a really fantastic film, and it, it's really stuck with me just in the last 24 hours, you know, in a way that has crept up on me in just, like, not even really certain images, uh, but just certain passages of the film and the feeling that I got while watching those, you know, little war games with the kids uh, and, like, the devotion to rescuing uh, the the girl before she gets sold into uh sex work even like but the i guess that moment of realization when they're kids and they don't know what they're going to do about it uh is so kind of like heartbreaking to me and it's kind of stuck with me uh throughout uh since like since i watched it and yeah it's it's a really fantastic film i don't know any any final words from you guys yeah i feel like you know for as, as much as a statement film you know this is it has such a unique shape to its structure and everything like i I really am floored about this and i think yeah i mean i you know i I didn't put a rating on it yet you know we'll see when i get home you guys can look out for that (laughs) but uh uh, (laughs) no yeah just thinking about like the ending in certain scenes like this is a very impactful movie for me and uh i definitely put obayashi even more on my radar than he already was yeah i agree seeing this i mean like in concert with really uh, going hardcore on Ozu, this sort of being that link um, really, I don't know, opened my brain up to like their connections in terms of like sensitivity to um, youth perspectives, like the obsession with sort of post-war Japan. And I think like, I mean, while I've done like scattered Obayashis throughout, I definitely think I'm going to make a, a larger effort to complete his filmography. Nice. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank um, you. <laughs> is there anything else you want to say before we head out? Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, I think there's great writing on him. There's so many films, and I should note many films that still need to be subtitled, even uh, just maybe not surprised given how sparse his distribution stateside mm-hmm. was before, but there are certainly many great films out there. I mean, Evan even ran a, a Kickstarter, I think, over the over the summer to fund some more sub, um, subtitles, and you know that turned out very well. So, certainly, if this is an ongoing effort, this will probably never. It will be long before we come to a sort of completion. But I think that's that's one of the wonderful things about. Like I think Obayashi's rediscovery is one of the greatest arguments for 
online cinephilia that I know. I think it's mm. like it. There are no, there's no better example of what a few curious people can do. And so I would say, keep maintaining that curiosity. Keep the keep your enthusiasm and keep your interest and keep your curiosity. Damn. Keep downloading. Oh, yeah, and keep down. oh, yeah. Oh, and uh, and one final quote from Hanagatami, which is very applicable to this film, but also just to any, just basically anything in in this world is. I won't accept that youth are expendable. Wow. Um. I don't even know how to follow up from that. Uh, yeah. Next week. We already said on the main feed that Evan is going to be joining us again. He's also coming on the Patreon. Uh, we're talking about Ega, the 2012 film. Oh, nice. uh, and that is going to be awesome. I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, Evan, giving us some long run times yeah. next week. I'm going to say, got some finals to do. <laughs> <laughs> got some finals to do i i I got this i got this uh one of my classes no screenings next week so there's perfect there's that Mm -hmm. uh i get to watch a godard blind spot for one of my classes for my last screening of the quarter too whoa i get to watch notre music oh Oh, yes i can't wait 